So my name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here and one of the teaching pastors here, and we are so glad that you are here engaging with us today and celebrating alongside of us. And, and over the last week, we have centered on this one phrase. If you've been here following us on Facebook and, and on, online or here at Good Friday, this one phrase, and I want you to repeat it with me today. It's going to be on the screen. Here we go. I am the one you love. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great, okay? Even first service did it better than that, all right? One more time. I am the one you love. There we go, man. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today, that you are the one that he loves, you know? I think that is the core of, of, of why we just gathered. And, and we've been talking about this. We've sung about it this week, that I am the one you love. We've been talking and repeating it and, and, and just wanting you so badly to understand that you are the one that he loves. And it's a hard concept for us to wrap our mind around. There's this love that God has for us. I think, you know, we try our hardest to understand this unconditional, unfavored love that, that God just pours on over us, but it's so hard for us to comprehend in our humanness. But when, when we understand it, when we start to understand it, when we start to believe that God loves us for who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what our past is, but God loves us passionately, man, it changes us. It fundamentally changes us. We love other people differently. We, 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 we live differently. We think that we belong. We, so, we know what our purpose is when we understand this one simple phrase. But again, it's just hard for us to, to wrap our whole minds around this. And, and we all, you know, we, we know what love is. You know, we all have someone that we love, maybe a spouse, you know, maybe your kids. You know, our grandkids, they can do nothing wrong. I don't know if you know about that or not, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Maybe, you know, maybe you don't have, you're not married, but you have a dog, and, and you love your dog, you know? It, that cuddly little thing that wags his tail every time you come home, and it's just amazing. Some of you love cats, and we're praying for you. It's okay, you know? <laughs> There's a support group that we can get you into for, for all that. But what happens, I think, sometimes is we compare our love, the way that we love here on earth, our human love, to the way that God loves, and it's totally, totally different. And would you agree with me that love can be complicated? <laughs> you know, if you're in any kind of relationship, it can be complicated, and right now the guy's like, I don't know what to do, you know? <laughs> Someone's gonna jab me if I answer this. It can be awkward at, at times, you know? We can, we can love all kinds of things. We can love pizza, we can love ice cream, but when it comes to relationships, when it comes to other people, it, it gets a little bit more murky, it gets a little bit stranger, okay? It gets a little bit awkward. It, complicated, as I like to say. And if you're here for our last series, in one of those teachings, I actually talked about how us men are, we're not complicated people. You know, it's very easy just to get us to do whatever you want to, ladies. And, 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 and you know, there's just three things that we really want, okay? And I talked about this, food, companionship, and an attaboy. Yeah, and I did change companionship. It's a little more Easter friendly today. <laughs> Food, companionship, and an attaboy. You know, you give us, you know, one of those every once in a while, we're pretty happy. But ladies, I'm telling you, you're, you're a little more complicated than that, you know? And, and I want to help my brethren here today, my brothers, okay? Because there's some people getting married shortly around here. You know, there's, there's like three or four, pay, pay attention, okay? <laughs> this is for you. This is all for you, okay? Uh, and there, we have like three or four weddings coming up, and I thought, you know, this would be a great opportunity for, for me just to kind of get some of my knowledge, what I've learned over the past years, to some of the men in the house. So, so here's, here's just it, okay? You may come home sometime, guys, and, 
and you know, there's this chill in the air as you walk in, you know, there's just something off about the house, you don't really know what it is, and, and you ask your wife, are you okay? And she says, I'm fine. <laughs> She's not fine, okay? And this is time for you to ask a few more questions, and don't do something stupid particularly, you know? It, what fine really means to them is that there is so much wrong right now that I can't even explain it to you, okay? You're not capable of understanding. That's what fine actually means. And here's the other thing that ladies do is they ask rhetorical questions, okay? I never really knew what a rhetorical question was. I thought when you asked a question, you wanted an answer. Apparently, a rhetorical question is one that, that you don't expect an answer. It's just to prove a point. And all the guys are going, oh, that makes so much more sense now. I've got a few examples. Here, here's one, okay? Are you really going to eat that? As I'm looking at my bowl of ice cream filled with all caramel sauce on top of it. Well, yeah, I was kind of planning on it, you know? And then there's another rhetorical question that follows after that. You know why that you don't tuck your shirts in, don't you? <laughs> well, yeah, but, but you, know, you know. How about this one? Are you kidding me right now? Yeah, we've all done that one, haven't we? You know? How, how, how about this one? Guys, listen up. You might get this one. Do you think I'm stupid? Don't answer that. That is not meant to be answered, okay? <laughs> Track with me here, guys. All right. Um, here's, one, here's one, Jason. This is for us. Um, are you really going to wear that, uh, you know, as we walk back to our closets? Well, apparently I'm not going to wear that now, you know? Rhetorical questions. It's hard, isn't it? It's just, it's just, guys, you're welcome. You know, I'm just trying to be a little bit helpful today. But it's a challenge sometimes, you know? Barb and I have been married 29 years this year, and yeah. She actually put up with me. But, but here's the thing. Um, you know, we were both married before, and, and we, when we got married, we said, we've got to do this thing right because we messed it up before, and, and we brought baggage in, and we knew it was going to be difficult and complicated, and, and so learning again, you know, and, and so we did everything we could, and, and obviously putting God at the center, that was part of the huge thing, but, but we wanted to, to make sure that it was right, and it was difficult at times. It was challenging at, at times, and and I just remember one time, um, in, very early in our marriage, I think it was within the first month, it might have been the first week or two of, of us getting married, and I came back home, and I walked into the house, and I walk into the kitchen, and I find Barb, Indian-style, sitting on, on the kitchen floor, and she is sobbing. And she's got this great big can of leftover from our reception of, of mixed nuts sitting in front of her. And she is crying and sobbing, and I'm thinking, what do I do? <laughs> and, and so I, I go over to her, and I get down at her level, and I say, honey, are, are you okay? And she's sobbing so much, I, I can't understand what she's saying. And, and so I'm trying to comfort her and, and not knowing what to do. I'm saying, okay, love, love, I got to love. And, and so finally, in, in all the sobbing, she finally gets it out, and in her, in her sobbing, she, she looks, there's no more cake. She just left in the can. <laughs> What do you do with that? <laughs> and so I did my best. You know, I, I tried to comfort her. and said, oh, it's so awful. And do you want me to go to the store? What can I do to help, you know, and, and comfort her? And she's still sobbing. And, and here's what I come to realize after, you know, a month after month. It seemed like this was kind of a regular occurrence, this emotional kind of breakdown. It kind of happened periodically, if you know what I mean. And... <laughs> And, uh, and so I wasn't used to that. I didn't know really how to navigate that whole thing. 
And, and so, you know, I, again, I, we're trying to love and, and love like God would and what have you. And I can remember it was maybe several years down the road, and there's another one of these emotional breakdowns, kind of, of something that I just deemed unnecessary, and she's breaking down. And, and so I go to her and I said, hey, just don't worry about it. You're going to feel a lot better in a couple days. <laughs> That's not a good thing. All that to say, it's hard for us to love. It's hard for us to love and comprehend this love, no matter how hard we try, of what God's love for us is. This Greek word, agape, that's unconditional, that is like, unlike anything else, that, that no matter what we do, God is going to love us. No matter how far we run, no matter where we go, God is going to pursue us and chase us and love us. It's hard for us to comprehend that. So with that, I want to go walk through a story. And this is kind of not your typical Easter passage that we're going to be reading today. So I'm going to actually start in John chapter 11, verse 1. If you want to get your U versions, your Bibles out, it'll also be on the screen behind us. But I just want to walk through this because I think these five verses will give us a a, kind of a basis of, of God's love for us. So here it is, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So as we break down these five verses, as we look at this, I think it's interesting at the very end here in verse 5 that, that John tells us that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He makes sure that he names each one individually because they were very individual. It wasn't just that he loved this family. He loved each and every one of them because they were very different in personalities. They had these unique personalities. You know, if you know the story of Mary and Martha at at, at all, Mary loved to be around Jesus and would sit at his feet. Martha had the to-do list, all the tasks that she had to check off. But but he loves them equally. He loves them both in their uniqueness. He loves Lazarus. He loves his whole entire family. And they are very close friends of Jesus. He actually spends the second to last week of his life with this family. That's how much he cares and loves for them. And then there's this one verse here in verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And no matter how many times I've read this, you know, it's very easy to look past. It's very easy for us not to understand the significance of this one line, this one verse. The one you love is sick. And I want to kind of put you in the context and get you to understand what is actually happening here. You know, Lazarus is, has, is obviously sick. And and, and I'm sure the sisters have done everything they possibly can because they see Lazarus getting sick, and he's getting sicker and sicker. I'm sure they've taken Lazarus, to their brother, to, to the doctors, to the hospitals. They've, they've gotten him all kinds of medicine to try to make him better. They've gotten the, the, the prayer chain together to, to start praying for him that Lazarus wouldn't be sick. But here they are once again knowing that this is not going well. Nothing we're doing is working. We only have one hope left. The only thing that can save Lazarus right now is Jesus. Unless Jesus intervenes, our brother is going to die. And that's the predicament that they are in at this point. There's no other answer. Jesus has to come through on this whole thing. And so they get a plan together. 
And what they're going to do is they're going to actually, I, I believe they wrote a note, and we're going to send it to Jesus and get him to react, to get him to respond, to get him to come and save our brother. Because they had seen all the miracles. They, they had heard about all the miracles. They knew that Jesus could do something about the situation that they are in. Now, let's take it a little closer to home. What if it was us? I want you to imagine someone very close to you, maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a parent, and maybe this is that they're sick, and, and maybe this is very close to home because you're dealing with that right now. And we've been through that ourselves as of late, and, and it's challenging. And, and so let's just imagine that, that, that this person that you dearly love is sick, and, and it's not looking good. And, and, and so you go to all the doctors, and you go to the hospitals, you get the proper medicine, you do everything in your power, and you realize that it's not working. And you so desperately don't want this person to leave you that, that you're going to write a note, that you're going you're gonna to write a note and get it to God, you're going to get it to Jesus and say, you, if you don't intervene, something's bad is going to happen. What would your note say? My guess is it would be a resume. That there'd be all kinds of things that you would write on there that, about this person, how, how kind they are, how caring they are, their devotion to you, God, their steadfastness. They, they've been through so much, but man, they, they still loved you no matter what. They were so generous with their time. They were so generous with their money. They, they served. They, they did all, all kinds of things for other people. They, were your, they, they loved you so much, God. Look at all they have done. Look at how much they have loved you. You'd put all that in a note. But then we look at Mary and Martha and the note that they sent Jesus. And they simply said, the one you love is sick. Let that sink in for just a minute. They thought that the thing that was going to save their brother was Jesus' love for him not their brother's love for Jesus. They thought that that love that Jesus had for Lazarus would move him to heal him. And they were counting only on that, not the resume, not anything else Lazarus could do. Unbelievable. They understood the heart of who Jesus is. The one you love is sick. And isn't that the gospel story? Isn't that the good news of Easter? Isn't that why we are here celebrating today? The story of Jesus, his birth, his life, his resurrection. That's why we gather. That's why we celebrate. That is the gospel story, the way that he loves us. God's love for us is written all over this last week, as painful and as excruciating as it may be. The reason Jesus walked the path that he walked was because he loved you and you you and us. Unbelievable. John, again, the writer in chapter 3, verse 16, and many of you probably have this verse memorized, and I just want to kind of walk through it. You've probably seen it in end zones of football games. You know, someone holds up a big sign, John three sixteen, all over. It starts with this, for God so loved the world. You notice it doesn't say, for the world so loved God. For God so loved the world. He initiated this whole process. 
He's the one that looked to the world. And as we've been going through this last series, talking in the book of Judges, how evil the world was, how messed up it was, how there was murder, how there was lust, how there was immorality, you name it, everything was going south. People were walking away from God. People didn't want to have anything to do with him. They wanted to do it their own way. They wanted to live life the way they wanted to do it. Don't tell me what to do. I'm not following God. But God so loved the world. And we look around at our circumstances today and the world that we live in, and, and we, we look at what's happening around, the immorality, the, the people living the way they want to live, the people being evil, people lusting, the immorality, everything that's, that, that's around us. And we think, oh, my gosh, it's so messed up. How could God possibly? But God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his one and only son. And then it says that whoever, <laughs> whoever, anyone, no stipulations whatsoever, but they don't act right, but they don't, they don't believe right, they don't do this right, that's the one that I sent my son for. And isn't this contrary to how we operate as humans? We get to a point that, you know, we want to love, but we want something back in return. We have an expectation. We, if we're going to love, we want some, some, somebody deserving of my love. We want, and it's just kind of how we formulate this whole thing. It's hard for us to grasp this love that God has for each and every one of us. And, and we get to a point that we often believe that God doesn't like the people that we like. God doesn't like the, the people that, that we think don't deserve his love. And, and we start molding this God into our own image and our own shape. And it fits our own personality. And we like it so well because we're very comfortable here. But that's not the God we serve. That's not who he is. And I've said this, I don't know how many times here, and I will continue to say it, that you will never, ever, ever be face-to-face -face with someone that God doesn't love. You will never, ever be face-to-face -face with someone that Jesus didn't die for. I don't care if they think differently than you, they look differently than you, than anything else. He died for them. He loves them. You will never be face-to-face -face with someone that God doesn't passionately pursue and want to have back in relationship, reconciled with him. Everybody we meet, no matter what, that's the heart of our God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's this believe and this trust, this understanding that what Jesus did on the cross was take everything I've ever done wrong, anything I ever will do wrong, and he paid the penalty. He paid the price, the thing that I deserved from it. He paid the price. He substituted himself for me, for you. That's what the good news, that is what the gospel, and it seems unbelievable, doesn't it, that just us trusting and believing and setting our lives and, and, and following Jesus the way he tells us to follow him. That's what this weekend is all about. Him getting what I deserve and then raising <laughs> the life so that I may have life, so that you may have life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and I'm going to go through just a couple more verses, pieces of scripture here. And it, it, This whole thing just seems so unbelievable that it, it's hard for us to picture. And I love how Paul says it here in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still 
powerless. We couldn't do anything. We were powerless. We can't reconcile ourselves with God. There's nothing that we can do, no matter what it is. We can't attend enough services. We can't serve enough. We can't do anything enough. We were powerless. And then it says, Christ died for the ungodly, for those who are far from him, for those who are living their own way, who want to do things their own way, who don't want to have anything to do with him, who have run so far. That's who Christ died for, the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates, he shows us his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, while we were still far from him, doing our own thing. Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, we were made right with him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life, through his resurrection? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When we trust, when we believe, we are reconciled. We stand in the presence of God, seen through Jesus, we are righteous. And then 1 John chapter 4, back to John writing this. This is love. Not that we love God, because we haven't, as hard as we try. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He loved us so much, he sent his son. John later in that same chapter says this. It's mind-blowing. That God isn't, doesn't express his love. God doesn't just show us love. God is love. That is his very nature. He is love and you can't do anything to earn it this love is unconditional it's relentless it's persistent it's aggressive it's obsessive he will pursue you no matter what no matter how far you run no matter where you go no matter what your past looks like he is going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you relentlessly because he's obsessed with you he's in love with you and he desperately wants to have a relationship with you that's what Easter is all about. That's why he went to the cross and paid the price for each and every one of us. He will never, ever, ever stop pursuing you no matter what. No matter how far you run, no matter where you try to hide, God is there and he loves you. The only question left is whether you will be a whoever. Will you be a whosoever that he came for? and decide to love him back because, see, he won't force you to love him. He won't force you to follow him because that's not love. He gives us the free will and the chance to come back and love him because he loves us. Will you be a whoever? Will you be one of those who says, I will give my life for the one who gave his life for me? Will you trust him? Will you stop relying on your own performance and doing the right things, saying the right things, showing up at the right events, will you give him your heart? Will you stop trying to do it on your own and just trust in the fact that he loves you? 
Would you stop thinking that all your failures, all the things that you've done in your past, that God can't possibly love me, you don't understand, Brad, all this junk, all this stuff. It's exhausting. No one could possibly love me after all that. God does. Enough to die for you. Do you understand that you are the one that he loves? I want you to say it one more time with me. I am the one you love. Father God, we don't understand why you would, but we are so grateful that you love each and every person in this room. If there's anybody here that has not said yes back to that love and love you back, I pray that you, I just pray that they would and just tell you, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I may not understand it all, but I'm going to follow you because I know that you love me now. That is our prayer. Father, just speak, move like never before. Continue to show us how much you love us and help us to love you back the way you oh so deserve. It's in the amazing, matchless name of Jesus that I pray.